Hello and welcome to an emergency festive Schadenfreude edition of Oh God, What Now? I'm Dory Alinsky, I'm here with Naomi Smith. Hello. And Roz Taylor. Hello. Let's start with the words of the new MP for North Shropshire, Liberal Democrat Helen Morgan. She says, the people of North Shropshire, spoken on behalf of the British people, they have said loudly and clearly, Boris Johnson, the party is over. Uh, Morgan turned a 23,000 Tory majority into a 6,000 Lib Dem majority with a swing of 34%. Uh, it was the biggest Lib Dem by-election win since Christchurch in 1993. Uh, Naomi, you called this, uh, but even you thought it would be tighter than this, as did the betting market, apparently. Around 1am, the Tories uh, were the favourites. Yeah, the, bet- the betting markets went wild. They were going backwards and forwards between the two for the whole of yesterday and well after the polls closed. Very weird. Um, this is remarkable. This is sort of, um, I hesitate to use the word historic because people use it a lot. Uh, but I've done some digging. 189 years at North Shropshire, or Oswest Street, as it was known for a while or a century. Uh, it, <laughs> they lost, it's only been not Tory for two years, 1904 to 1906. And in all that time, the Tory vote has never gone below 40%. Not then, not 1997, never. Uh, now it's not even 32%. Um, why are Lib Dems the masters of the by-election upset? <laughs> well, um, they are just very good at sending their activists to one place and they are very well seasoned with their dodgy bar charts and showing that they're in second place even when they're definitely not, which, of course, if you were going on previous election results, they weren't. Um, it was it was quite clearly Labour that had been in second place in that seat for quite some time. So uh, they're very uh, good at getting themselves together all in one place. They like to meet up. They're a convivial bunch. And it's because it's often the only time they have any victory. So, um, yeah, <laughs> less, less good at doing it at a general election. Well, I, mean, I think they I think could the- be convivial. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could be very, very convivial, but. The scale of this is extraordinary, um, and yet they do pull these surprises. Well, they they do, they do. And so to answer your question more fully, um, what happens is that uh, by-elections are a really easy way for people to vote and give the government of the day a kicking or the sitting MPs party a kicking because you're not risking who's, who's going to you know change... Uh, leadership in number 10. So it is much easier to get tactical voters behind you. And if you are sort of positioned somewhere in between two of the other parties, that is a more effective in a by-election than it is at a general election. Um, They often only hold the seats that they win at by-elections long term where they have a lot of councillors and do very well in local government. Um, And actually, interestingly, there are more Lib Dems represented in the local uh, council in Shropshire than there are in Cheshire and Amersham, which of course was the other stonking by-election victory for the Lib Dems earlier. That's interesting. People might not know that because demographically, this is quite different from Chesham and Amersham. It's a Leave voting constituency for for one thing. Um, the Lib Dems came third last time. It it didn't seem on the surface uh, that they would be the obvious um, lead opponents, and not Labour, who came second. How did they become the chosen ones? Was it just because actually, when you look beneath the surface, they had this sort of strength in the council, and that the twenty nineteen result was not the full story? I think there's part of that. And look, we'll never know whether there was any kind of actual 
gentlemen's agreement done between Starmer and Davy on this, although that's what the, the, the chattering classes were certainly led to believe. You make a very important point about the leave vote there. Um, last night's result in a constituency where 60% of people voted leave in the referendum, but then the Conservative Party barely mustered over 30% this time round. And that Lib Dem victory in the very anti-Brexit Cheshire and Amersham six months ago Many people interpreted that as Remainer's revenge, but you absolutely cannot do that in North Shropshire. This was very much a verdict on Johnson rather than on Europe. But where the Lib Dems have traditionally done quite well in rural areas or, or you know, less urban areas is by being the anti-establishment alternative um, in areas where Labour hasn't unionised. Now, look, Ros is much more familiar with the seat than I am and can probably speak <laughs> more fluently about that sort of non-conformist, non-unionised, uh, you know, Labour vote um, than I can. But I think there's probably an element of that at play as well. Um, Roz and North Shropshireologist. Um, <laughs> what yeah. light can you shed? Yeah, Naomi is quite uh, right to say it's non-unionised. I mean, the, because it's North Shropshire is a constituency which is basically rural with some small market towns, um, Wem, Market Drayton, Ellesmere, Oswestry, Street. Um, and what that means is that you haven't got historically you haven't got um, a strong unionized vote because there weren't ever large people numbers of people gathered together working in factories and all those kind of things that worked often in the past not so much now clearly to produce a labor vote and so there isn't labor don't have deep historical roots there and that makes it very hard for them to to draw on those when the time comes. It means that potentially the Labour vote is quite soft and people don't vote Labour because they have a long, you know, because their parents and grandparents voted Labour, which is less and less the case with all the parties anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's that, uh, that was very important. I think also the candidate was important. There was a strong contrast between the Lib Dem candidate who was from Harmer Hill, which is a fairly small village, not too far north of Shrewsbury, and the Tory candidate. Um, she obviously was local. She's an accountant. She's not a particularly good speaker, as you'll have seen if you've watched her acceptance, uh, watched her victory speech last night when the result was announced. She uh, really struggled to deliver that speech, but it was clearly very sincere. And the fact that she was less polished and less urbane, shall we say, than the Conservative candidate will have actually played in her favour in this seat where people value that sort of connection and do not necessarily go for pretension, if you like, and uh, a, a sleek kind of Rishi Sunak-like uh, uh, urbane vibe. I think she would have benefited from that. Um now, obviously, uh, Starmer bashers on left and right pointed out uh, that Labour came third, you know, down on, on last time. But they are well ahead in the national polls. Um, so, I mean, does this tell us anything about Labour? Does it just show that, 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 that you know, is it a story of tactical voting? Is it a story of, of the Labour Party itself understanding that, you know, that there was no point pouring huge resources into this uh, seat? Yeah, I think they did do that. And um, our friend and colleague, Alexandreo, actually pointed out uh, a few a few hours ago that Labour sent Corbynistas to 
the to the seat to campaign people like Richard Bergen and Zara Sultana, people who really wouldn't have had much appeal in this particular rural seat, and uh, must have must have known that. I imagine they weren't particularly happy to be sent there. He, they didn't try to send big guns. Of course, uh, Starmer put out you know a standard tweet saying vote for our candidate in North Shropshire, but you know you could tell <laughs> that it wasn't it wasn't a massive get out the vote effort. I mean, it does reveal that there is still no enthusiasm at large, I think, for a Starmer government. What there is, is disgust at the Conservative government. It may well happen that once people hear more from Starmer and have a sense of what that alternative represents, that uh, Labour support will uh, will increase. But for the moment, that has certainly played to the Lib Dems' advantage. I mean, I wouldn't see it. I'm not going to say that this was a terrible showing for Labour and they don't need to despair because people were very savvy and voted tactically and all credit to them for doing so. And that makes perfect sense. But there clearly weren't that many people who were saying, I like Starmer so much. He's such a great leader that I can't I can't vote Lib Dem, I have to show my support for them, which there will always usually be some people who who do when they really feel uh, feel inspired by a particular leader. But that may well come because most people's political radar is minimal except at election time. And it, since he, the Labour Party didn't make a big effort in this seat, it does really explain why the, why the vote was low. Um, and, and some people still seem to struggle to, to realise that historically Labour and Lib Dems usually rise together. And even in, right. 20, even in 2017, a stronger Lib Dem performance um, would have cost Labour some votes, but probably cost the Tories more seats. And there still seems to be this sort of misunderstanding that, that you know, that you need Lib Dems to fail in order for Labour to do well, which seems to be uh, the opposite of the truth. Um, Naomi, Obviously, we had Owen Patterson. It's Owen Patterson's old seat. So we have scandal of corruption. We also had uh, the Christmas party um, scandal on top of that one. Uh, Do you think that it was those two things? Do you think that um, the situation with COVID played a part? What other factors? I think that uh, in a rural seat such as that, we can't discount um, this government having sold farmers out through the Brexit deal and then subsequent trade deals that it assigned with uh, New Zealand and after the polls closed yesterday with Australia where the Brits made a last minute concession on agri stuff in Australia's favour. So there will have been uh, those that they may not have switched to the Lib Dems but they may have just chosen not to vote um, uh, in order to to send the Conservatives a message that they're unhappy. So I, I think on top of the Absolutely, the, the the sleaze and the scandal uh, surrounding Patterson and Johnson and Partygate and everything. I think Brexit will have also had an impact on that, and certainly how badly the government has handled it. I found that quite exciting, actually, because the whole thing has been sort of don't mention, um, don't mention Brexit, don't mention how badly it's going, because that might make Leave voters feel bad. Um, and the Lib Dems campaigned here on these on how Brexit and these free trade agreements mm-hmm. were hurting farmers in a strongly leave seat. And, you know, whether or not that was the I doubt that was the main factor, but it certainly didn't hurt them. No, I mean, does certainly- this mean that the leave remain divide that we thought was going to be in place for a very long time is maybe weaker than we thought and that actually you can 
zero in on where Brexit is hurting people without that risk of making Leave voters feel stupid. Yes, and I think this is just a, a sort of a wider point for the Conservatives in general that the libertarian flank of them, which is this sort of growing um, and more muscular part of the parliamentary party of the Conservatives, certainly, is running out of economic tarmac. Uh, they got Brexit, but it hasn't been the kind of Brexit that they necessarily wanted. There haven't been all of these beautiful trade deals that will shore up GDP uh, in the same way that the loss is flowing out from not having a good deal with the EU um, have cost them and they've had to suffer tax rises um, and and so you know a traditional conservative voter in a seat like uh, North Shropshire is is really beginning to think hold on you know th- this form of conservative isn't isn't what we would have uh, backed previously so I think I think there is a lot of trouble there on that one other point that I think has sort of largely gone unnoticed by people is the very nature of by-elections themselves not just this well-rehearsed issue about it. you can easily protest vote at a by-election because you're not changing who's in number 10 but on the money of it parties are allowed to spend up to a hundred thousand pounds in a by-election in a general election, local campaigning in a seat like that would be capped at 15,000. So what you have got is an absolutely huge volume of tactical voting advice going to voters on what is ordinarily a lower turnout. It was actually quite high for a by-election, but it, it, more depressed than it would be in a general election, meaning that you've got a much larger percentage of very well-informed votes. And I think that that probably also is something worth noting and is why it's going to be very difficult to replicate this at a general election. That's a good point. The turnout actually was surprisingly high, uh, given given Omicron and the fact that it's a by-election. Um, Ross, in winter. <laughs> in winter, exactly. Um, anger is a great motivator. Ros, um, if Boris Johnson hadn't weighed in on his side, Owen Patterson would have quietly concluded his 30-day suspension uh, last week, I think, um, and there would be no by-election at all. Does this make this loss especially damaging, the fact that actually if it wasn't for Johnson, it wouldn't even have happened? Yeah, and it, it demonstrates the fatal flaw of Johnson, in my view, which is hubris. You know, he pushed it too far. He should have acknowledged and realised that Owen Patterson was basically trying to make a fast buck out of his um, position, and he should have dealt with that. But no, he listened to his friends on the Telegraph, and he let himself be persuaded that there was something fundamentally wrong with the whole uh, parliamentary system and uh, of course a system which is very likely at some point to go after him for and you know for his own for his own corruption and with the most enormous amount of hubris he decided to try and overturn that entire system and if he hadn't done that then this would all have gone away very quickly but he overstepped his limits and we've seen what has happened and this is already becoming evident that this will be his downfall he doesn't know when to stop with the arrogance and the corruption, he doesn't realise it. And he doesn't even know how to stop, I think, uh, at this point. He has no clue. I mean, there's there's no there's no salvation for Johnson at this point. He is who he is. He's not going to change. And that will be what brings him down. I, I love this idea. This, this is a this is a wake-up call for Johnson. And it was just yeah. it was just like as if people, let alone Boris Johnson, but just human beings in general are like really good at fixing fundamental lifelong character flaws 
within, within the space of a few weeks. Just like, oh, okay, I won't be blustery and hubristic anymore. <laughs> it's risible. I mean, you saw you saw him today come out and he wasn't at his best because he was at a vaccination centre inevitably. So they made him wear a mask. So he couldn't do his, you know, ridiculous expressions. And he, he looked rather stupid. But he did his usual pathetic speech and used the phrase in all humility, which for Boris Johnson to use is is... You know, it's it's like it's like intoning a prayer. You know, there's no sense that there's any connection with the person actually saying it. And of course, he finished it with with uh, you know, talk about boosting Britain and that awful sort of semi-sexual little fist pump that he does. You know, when he really wants to grab <laughs> something home, and it's just disgusting. I, I I hate it when he does that. Um, it was it was he had clearly had no clue. I mean, his his priority now will be trying to get out and make somebody else take the blame for what he's done, because that's what Johnson does. He looks around for someone else to take the blame and have to resign or suffer the end of their career in some other way as a result of his screw-ups. The question is who he will try and make that person be. Well, I, li- I like him blaming the media for reporting things that he had done. <laughs> Um, and if the media had just not talked about all the bad things he'd done, it would have been fine. Yes. What we need to talk about is boosting Britain with Boris and Beavers. And it's just, oh, God, you know, he's got nothing else. It's, it's, he has nothing else to offer now. He is a lame duck. Well, the one bit of good news for Johnson is that it's the week before Christmas. Parliament's in recess. There's no chance of an immediate vote of no confidence. And I think as we discussed on the weekly podcast, it's like it's not really the time to do it during the during the Omicron spike, where basically everybody and their dog seems to be testing positive. Um, We try not to do firm predictions. um, But how does he end 2022? Do you expect there to be a leadership challenge or would there need to be another because a lot of these things it's almost like the temperature rises and, and and it's it's in the heat of the moment so do you imagine that it would take something else to go wrong before there was a leadership challenge are people going to do it in cold blood yeah i think it will i mean as roger gale said today earlier this week of course people were saying this will be the last straw and the letters will go in from the 1922 committee if he loses north Shropshire. and clearly that now isn't going to happen but you heard roger gale uh, today uh, saying that uh, well one more thing basically and that would be it he would be out and it will all calm down for a while over Christmas and because you know we will struggle the NHS will probably struggle terribly with Omicron and that will distract attention but inevitably the next scandal the next horrific thing after that will come along and I would expect by March his position to be looking very very precarious indeed. Naomi, finally, I mean, if you apply this anti-Tory swing nationwide, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, But do we have to remember to read by-election results as snapshots rather than trends? Very, 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 very much so. Um, It is incredibly unusual for the Liberal Democrats to hold uh, by-election wins at Westminster elections, at general elections. And as you know, for all of the reasons we've talked about, it is much, much, much more likely that the voters will have received tactical voting advice on in volume, on mass, that they will have felt empowered to vote tactically uh, because they're not changing who is uh, prime minister. So for all of those reasons, it is incredibly difficult to extrapolate this kind of a victory to uh, what might happen at a general election. And all of Best of Britain's data shows that, that these kinds of 
uh, non-aggression pacts, as we broadly saw happen here. Of course, there was some um, annoyance from the Lib Dems that Labour fought it a little bit too hard this time. But it would be uh, very, very unusual in a general election, I think, for that kind of mixed messaging to be happening. But yes, it, it, the, the data that we've got shows that these kinds of non-aggression pacts will be insufficient to defeat the Conservatives on current polling. Big big poll shifts could change that landscape, but they would need to be seismic. Still, this was vastly enjoyable uh, by election results. So let's enjoy it while we can um, in a time where perhaps there isn't quite so much to celebrate. And three cheers to the tactical voters of North Shropshire. Yeah. Uh, that's all from us. Thank you, Roz. Thank you. Thanks, Naomi. Thanks, Dorian. And thanks for listening. We will see you next week for the last Oh God, What Now of 2021. Take care.